Amen. Well, uh, looked like Beverly was having a bit of a stroke this morning. We have a health and safety team who is right on top of it, and they've already made arrangements to get her to a doctor ASAP. So thank you for your prayers for her. And uh, thank you for worshiping. Even in that moment, God's greatness is not diminished. And I'm so grateful that you are all here today. Thank you for coming out. And if you are visiting, uh, thank you for coming. And if you have questions about the church, we have wonderful people standing by out there in the lobby to help and some great people to pray with us in our prayer room after the service. As Lamont was mentioning on the video, uh, we have a lot going on at church right now this summer. We hope you can take some time to look through those things. Summer electives coming up. Ephesus starting, and there's a team out front that would love to answer your questions about Ephesus. And uh, probably what's on our minds most today, too, besides praying for Beverly, is that uh, tomorrow we're having a memorial service, Lord willing, at 1 o'clock for, for uh, a young woman who is very much a part of our church, Hannah Drake. Her daddy, Michael, was our um, children's pastor here for a lot of years, and um, he passed away while on the staff. Hannah ended up marrying a wonderful guy from our church, Joseph Drake. His mom and dad, his grandparents go to church here. There's a long history at Golden Hills. May 7th, Hannah was suddenly taken in a car accident back in South Dakota. Uh, she and Joseph had just celebrated the birth of their little girl Grace about three or four months ago. And so this is a really tough time for the family. Um, they've had a service back in South Dakota, but there are many family and friends and she's gonna be uh, buried here in the local area. So tomorrow at one o'clock, we're gonna be hosting a memorial service, a celebration of life for Hannah Drake. And if you know the Bennett family or the Atkinsons or the Drakes, if you'd like to come be a part of that tomorrow, I know they would love to have you here and your prayers would be very much appreciated. So, you know, the choir was singing today and we were lifting up the name of the Lord and because God is great in every situation and every circumstance. And this family knows that very well. So thank you for your prayers and support of them. You've heard me say many times over the years that I love Jesus. I love him. I own my life. I love to talk about him. Uh, he is central to everything, not just in the word, but in our church, but in my life. Today I wanted to spend a few moments talking about the glorious return of Christ because he's coming again, you know. And we all need to be living ready. John wrote the book of Revelation must have been a wonder and a mystery when these things were opened up to him. John, who knew the Lord on earth probably as well as anybody could, was exiled on an island in the Mediterranean, the island called Patmos. It was a place where the Roman emperor and the Roman government would send people to die when they wanted to exile them. John said, I was out there because of my testimony for Jesus. He's exiled simply because of his love for Christ. They had sent John out there to die, but what the Roman Emperor didn't understand was John couldn't die because he had eternal life in him in the Lord Jesus. And so on a Sunday morning, John is down worshiping. He's worshiping Jesus and the resurrected Jesus shows up on the island, touches him on the shoulder and says, John, don't be afraid. I'm gonna show you some great and wonderful things and I want you to write these down for the ages to come. That's the book of Revelation. The things that were, the things that are, and the things that yet shall be. And when you get to chapter 19, you have this powerful description 
of what it's going to appear like that when heaven was opened and John could see the return of Christ. And this is the way John wrote it in Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we have just a shadow of your greatness. But one day you're going to return in all your glory. Jesus, you're coming again. And no one will miss you. Every eye will see you. And we will stand in awe of your greatness as you come to make everything right and to usher in your kingdom. So today, as we open up this word, help us to put away all the other distractions and have a mind and a heart attuned to you, the great and glorious one who is King of kings and Lord of lords and who's coming again. And we'll thank you for all that you'll show us in Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in an age of superheroes, real superheroes. You might recognize some of these. Mighty Mouse, Tom Terrific, Roy Rogers, Sky King, Rocket J. Squirrel, and Bullwinkle Moose. Now, if you're under 50, you're probably thinking, what is this wacko talking about? I never heard of any of those people. And if you're over 50, you're probably thinking, I watch them every Saturday morning. Those guys are amazing. Because no matter what the crisis, when they showed up, they made everything right. You know, I never thought of myself as a superhero until one rainy day at Cape Lookout State Park in Oregon uh, on the coast. We were having a youth retreat, Carl and I, high school and college kids. We're living in tents out on the coast, and uh, it's raining in tents in Oregon for three solid days. Carla and I were sitting in the car trying to figure out what to do to make something out of this mess when this young girl named Debbie, soaking wet, standing in the pouring rain, comes up to our car, taps on the window. I roll it down. This is all she said. Larry, we are sick and tired of this rain. You're the youth pastor. Do something about it. I thought, wow, I had no idea how they saw me here in the middle school, high school, and college group do something about it. Well, if you think about it, that's what we want God to do, isn't it? We look out into the world, the world is a mess. Violence, corruption, fear and hunger, marriages and families in turmoil, values being surrendered to the latest smut, right being called wrong and wrong being called right. Things can get so bad at times that even people that normally are inclined to not even think about God can find themselves crying out, your God, Do something about it. Well, the good news is he has. And the good news is he will in a way so powerful that nothing in heaven or on earth will ever be the same. Everything and everyone will be made right with God. 
or they will be destroyed. Jesus is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. In Revelation 19 and verses 11 through 16, John reveals him as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords in absolute power and all divine power and authority and all goodness and love. Revelation 19 is the description of what's gonna happen when he arrives. Jesus peeled back the heavens and showed John of his return. Set in the celebration in chapter 19 of what George Frederick Handel called the Hallelujah Chorus. The great heavenly celebration of angels and all the saints who are celebrating two great events. The first was the destruction of the great prostitute. Revelation 19, verse one. After this, John said, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. John indicated in Revelation, Revelation 18 that the prostitute was the great city of Babylon. And the great city of Babylon in the scripture is used to describe the whole world system that has arrayed itself against God. Here John says Christ is coming to destroy all apostate religion and all the satanic economic and political systems which have led the world astray and have polluted people's pure devotion to Jesus Christ, who have exalted systems and governments and people ahead of Christ. He's coming to make all of that right and to destroy all that has stood in the way. But there's also a great celebration of what's called the wedding supper of the Lamb. In verse six, I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, you don't like a loud, you ain't gonna like heaven. I can guarantee you. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. The great feast that occurs when Jesus the groom is finally together with his bride, the church, forever and ever. And they celebrated a great wedding feast. Then the door of heaven is open for John. And John is allowed to see what will happen. And the one who will come to make everything right. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a baby, born in Bethlehem, and many missed his arrival, but this time, John said, every eye will see him. When he came to Jerusalem last time, he came riding on a donkey, on a triumphal entry, a mission of peace, to die as the suffering servant for the sins of the world. This time, he will appear on a white horse, a charger, leading a great army to judge and to make war and to establish his kingdom. And when he comes the first time, most often the question was asked, who is this? But when he comes this next time, he'll be wearing a name on his robe and on his thigh that no one will miss. This one is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And everyone and everything will surrender to his will and he will reign forever and ever. 
That's why John reminds us that Jesus Christ is God Almighty who is coming again to make everything right. But the question is, how are we to live as we're waiting for his coming? And John said, you worship him as King of Kings and you follow him as Lord of Lords. We worship him as King of Kings. If you go back in Revelation 19 to verse nine, John said, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. People, we worship what we value most. You ever been to a mall any kind of a parking lot, seeing a bright, shiny car parked across two or three spaces, taking up the room so that the doors won't get dinged. See, what you're seeing there is worship. Whoever owns that car is demonstrating what that car is worth to them. You ever wonder at people who will buy expensive tickets, pay $50 to park, fight traffic for two hours, and go sit out in the cold on a hard bench to cheer on their favorite team? There's nothing wrong with that. If that's what they choose to do, but what you're seeing is worship. They're demonstrating through all of that what that team is worth to them. Or you ever marvel at the tenderness of a man or a woman who stands by their aging spouse caring for their beloved until they rest in the arms of Jesus? See, what you're seeing there is worship. They're demonstrating what that loved one is worth to them. Worship is the tangible expression through actions and priorities of what someone or something is worth to you. And what is of highest value to us in our lives is what we are devoted to. The car, the game, the loved one. But how much would others say that God is worth to you or to me when they watch the priority of our lives. You know, people use the language all the time. They don't realize exactly what they're saying, but they use it all the time. They watch this kind of devotion. They say, man, that guy, that kid worships his car. Or that guy worships the 49ers or he worships his job. They're not saying that they think those things are God to them. What they're saying is those things are of high value to them. They put a lot of priority there, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of devotion. It's obvious what's of value to them. You know, I can't help but wonder at times when my neighbors see how I live and people around the church see how I live and my family sees how I live and all these other things. I wonder if any would look at me and say, man, that guy worships God. God is obvious of highest priority to him above everyone and everything. God is the one he values most. That's the way God intended all of us who are Christians to live. With Jesus in the ultimate place of worship. 
Because no person, no place, no thing is to have a higher place of worth in our lives than Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. And look how John describes him. He is faithful and true, verse 11. So when he meets out justice and judges and makes war, it'll be true and right and altogether just. No one will question the motive or see that there's anything wrong with this judgment. He'll be faithful and true to himself and to us and to all that is right and true. He is faithful and true. And his eyes, John said, they're like blazing fire. This all-seeing God will expose all secrets and his gaze will penetrate to the thoughts and motives of the heart. He misses nothing. Every sin will be judged. Every good deed be rewarded. He sees everyone and everything perfectly in holiness and justice and right. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head, John said, are many crowns, many crowns. He is sovereign over everyone and everything, over every king, over every ruler, every tribe, and every nation. It'll be very obvious when Jesus comes, nobody is higher than this king. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. The name represents the sum total of all a person is and does. But there is a name on Jesus that's going to speak of who he is in a way that so far none of us have ever seen. A name so great that it hasn't even been revealed yet, but when it is revealed, everyone in all creation are going to fall down and worship before him. This is the Jesus who is our king. This is the Jesus who will hold the highest place then. This is the Jesus who is to hold the highest place in our lives right now. Because to allow anyone or anything in his rightful place, to value anyone or anything more than Jesus, makes that person or thing an idol. And it makes the people who worship those things idolaters. And sometimes the idol of choice most often worshiped is self. It's not what God wants, it's what we want. It's not what God thinks, it's what I think. It's not what God says should happen, it's what I think should happen. It's not God's money, it's my money. It's not God's house, it's my house. It's not God's kids, they're my kids. It's not God's marriage, it's my marriage. We worship the God of self. That's why Paul told the Colossian church in Colossians 3 verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hold on to that. You are going to appear with him in glory. We're coming back to that in a minute. It's amazing. You see, Paul told the Philippian church that this worship of Jesus, keeping him in first place, is a lifelong pursuit. That's why he said in Philippians 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
Here's the guy that wrote half the New Testament, devoted to Jesus near the end of his life, and he said, I'm not there yet, but I want to be like Jesus, and I'm pursuing him with all my heart, and he is clearly number one in my life. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. People, the prize is Jesus himself. I assure you that heaven will hold no prize greater than Jesus Christ. And heaven would cease to be heaven if Jesus were not there. He is the king of kings. He alone is worthy of worship now and forever. This is how we are to be living when Christ comes again. As king of kings, when he comes to make everything right, that we would be worshipers of him in the place of highest worth. And not only worship him as king of kings, but we follow him as Lord of lords. John said in verse 13, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You've heard it said, we follow Jesus as Lord or we do not follow him, or he's, not, he's Lord of all or we do not follow him as Lord of anything. He's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I've wrestled with that over the years. And years ago, I was confronted by God because I had to make a decision who's gonna run my life. Now, some of you have heard this story before, some of you haven't, but I think it bears repeating. When Carla and I were given an opportunity to come to Antioch to help start a new church 35 years ago, more than that now, I didn't want to come. It's no secret, I did not want to come. I had never heard of Antioch. I didn't want to live in California. I was living in Oregon. I had picked out a nice spot for a house. I loved the ministry there. I wanted to be a youth pastor. I loved our church. I liked being connected to the school I had attended. I had everything laid out for my life and coming down here was a major interruption. That's why we told the folks, no, I don't think we're interested now. That was in May of 1983. But the core group here and others just kept forging ahead and they invited us to come back in September of that same year. And I remember telling Carla, honey, we gotta go back down to California and put this thing to rest. This thing is not going away. So we came down, it was a Saturday night, never forget it, Saturday night, I'm supposed to speak to this group the next day on Sunday morning and tell them that we're not coming. We're staying at the Motel 6 over in Pittsburgh. This is way before Walmart and Taco Bell. That was just a godforsaken spot over there <laughs> back in the early 80s. And I'm miserable that night. Because you see, deep inside, I knew God was wanting me to come here, and I didn't want to do it. If any of you have ever been grateful that we came, you thank God for that, but you also need to thank Carla, because it was her that night that God spoke through to me in one way when she said to me, Larry, I think one of the reasons you're so miserable is you know God wants you here, and you're not willing. 
So I got up slightly delighted at what she just said and <laughs> walked out the door and closed it behind me a little firmer than I might normally do it. And I went for a walk. It was a beautiful moonlit night. Gas trucks were driving by. There was the stench of the paper mill and the oil places out there and the chemical plant and the papers are blowing up against the fence. And I'm standing out there looking at this moon and I've never heard God speak audibly, but I'll tell you, this is the closest I've ever heard. Man, it was so clear. Larry, you don't want to take this for me? You don't have to take it. Just don't ever call me Lord again. And it broke me. Because you see, I realized in that moment, he wasn't the Lord of my life. I was the Lord of my life. I was telling him where I wanted to live, the house I wanted, the ministry I wanted, what I thought was best and what I was willing and not willing to do. And Jesus reminded me, Larry, it doesn't work that way. You're not the Lord. But if you think you are, don't call me Lord again. It tells us in verse 14, John said, I saw the armies of heaven were following him. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. You see, just like the armies of heaven following him as Lord, at his second coming, we're going to be a part of that great army that's appearing with him in his glory, following him as Lord then. He wants us to be following him as Lord now. Following Jesus in humble obedience is our acknowledgement of his lordship. Following him is no burden because of what he's done, what he's going to do, and because of who he is. Because of what he's done. Look at what John said in verse 13. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Remember what Jesus showed doubting Thomas when he couldn't believe Jesus had really risen from the dead? John 20, verse 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. See, for all eternity, we're going to be reminded of his sacrifice. You're going to see those nail holes in his feet and hands, the wound in his side. And when he comes, he's going to be dressed in a robe dipped in blood. The blood he paid to save me and you from our sin. And no one in heaven will ever forget the blood he shed in his battle with Satan's sin and death so that you and I could be free. But also, it's the reminder of what he's yet going to do. He's wearing the blood-stained robe of judgment when he comes to destroy all wickedness and the nations that oppose him. He's coming to rule them with an iron scepter. He treads out the winepress of the fury of wrath, the wrath of God Almighty. God is a God of love. He loves you more than you know. And he's paid a great price. But when people reject all of that at the end and they still oppose him, they're going to be crushed under the power of this coming king. 
And he has written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. No one will ever question his authority to do this. That's why in 2 Peter 3, Peter said, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But... The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That is always the question. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we who are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, we are looking forward to that. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. See, Peter and John didn't write these things to scare us. They wrote these things to prepare us. In fact, if you're sitting here today and those words terrorize you, that may be an indicator for just how far from Christ being Lord of your life you really are. Because John said when he saw these things, he saw that people who are living with Jesus as Lord are looking forward to his coming. Thank you, Sherry. You see, how we live really matters. Those who live for Jesus don't need to be afraid. In fact, Peter said, you follow Jesus as Lord and you're going to look forward to seeing him as Lord then. We'll rejoice because he's ushering in a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. But it's not just a joy to follow him because of what he's done or what he's going to do, but because of who he is. It says in verse 13, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. Jesus is the word. He is the fullness of God in human flesh, the very revelation of God himself. He is the word, the living word, and the scriptures are his written word, the very revelation of Christ himself. Do you remember in John 5 when Jesus talked to the crowds? He said, look, you diligently study the scriptures and you do well. It's the scriptures that speak of me. When you read the Bible, you are hearing God speak. It is God's testimony about his son. And every book of the Bible reveals him. This is why I love to read this word. If you love Jesus, you discover him on every page in here. He's everywhere. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, he's the smitten rock. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet. In Joshua, he's captain of the Lord of hosts. 
In Judges, he's the deliverer. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In, in Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, he's the ruler. In Nehemiah, he's the restorer. In Esther, he's the advocate. In Job, he's the mighty God. In Psalms, he's the savior, the shepherd, and the sovereign. In Proverbs, he's the wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the goal. In the Song of Solomon, he's the groom. In the prophets, he's the coming one. In the gospels, he's the God-man. In Acts, he's the risen one. In epistles, the head of the church. And in Revelation, King of kings, Lord of lords, who's coming again to reign. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus I'm following. What about you? See, the Bible says that those who believe his word and follow him will never be put to shame. But those who reject his word and refuse him will by that word be destroyed. That is the word, the sword that's coming out of his mouth. People, the the Bible depicts that in these last days, the armies of earth that oppose Christ, that represent these kingdoms opposed to God, are gonna gather together to try to stop the coming of Jesus Christ. They're gonna come with their armies and their nuclear weapons and their missiles and their bombs and their tanks and their helicopters and their fighter jets and all of these things. And it says in Psalm two, the Lord looks down from heaven and laughs. The whole world is held together by his power. The whole world, the universe is held together by the word of his power. When will we wake up and realize this Jesus is the one, all he has to do is speak a word and everything we know ceases to exist. This is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords we follow. The one who's in love with you gave his life for you on the cross. It says in Revelation 17, verse 14, they'll wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he's Lord of lords and king of kings. And look at this. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. I want to be in that army. Don't you? So let me ask you, is this the Jesus you are following as the Lord of your life? People, it isn't just people who call him Lord. Jesus said, there's a lot of people that give me lip service. They call me Lord, just like I did at one point in my life, but he wasn't Lord. I was. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we teach Sunday school? Didn't we drive the bus to camp? Didn't we do all of these things? And he'll say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There's no replacement for having a personal relationship with this God to worship him as king and to follow him as the Lord of your life. And when he returns to make everything right, no one's going to miss who he is. 
Remember how Revelation begins? Chapter 1, verse 7, look, he's coming with the clouds, John said, and every eye will see him. And even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John said on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No one will miss him then. The question is, to have life, you must be sure to not miss him now. You know, it's amazing to me how many people, so-called experts, biblical scholars, historians, and others keep gathering together to try to diminish the truth of who Jesus is. And so many people believe these people. I remember picking up the paper some years ago, and the headline caught my attention. Scholars say Jesus didn't promise a second coming. So I'm reading this article of a group that gathered in San Francisco. A group of biblical scholars overwhelmingly agreed that Jesus Christ never promised to return and usher in a new age and would have been appalled about becoming a cult figure in a new religion, the group's founder said Monday. About 100 scholars, theologians, historians discussed the teachings of the historical Jesus in a three-day seminar through Sunday and agreed that Jesus did not promise a second coming in which he would bring a new age as the leader of God's kingdom. Gospel writers and later followers of Jesus were the ones who predicted the second coming of Jesus, most scholars participating in the Jesus Seminar said. 26 of the 30 scholars voting after the discussion on the second coming said they strongly disagreed that Jesus expected to return and usher in a new age. The group also voted overwhelmingly that the language used to describe the future kingdom of God in the New Testament is mythic, and symbolic and recommended that people should not believe in nor look forward to a second coming and a new age. People, you may not like this word, but you know what God called them? Fools. Professing to be wise, they have become fools and exchanged the glory of God for this nonsense. People, I don't know which Jesus they're following, but I can tell you, That's not the Jesus John saw. That's not the Jesus that met me that night over there in Pittsburgh. That's not the Jesus of this Bible. That's not the Jesus of this church. John said, heaven opened for me. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Riding on white horses dressed in fine linen white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The question is, do you know him? Do you know this Jesus? Because if you do, you will worship him as king. No one or no thing will have a higher place in your life than he does. 
and you will follow him as Lord for what he's done and what he's yet to do and just for who he is. And you'll look forward to the day of his coming when all will be made right finally and all will worship and follow him because you see he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus and I love him. And he's going to reign forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said. Amen. God, thank you. I don't have all the details. I don't have all the timing, but I don't need anything. All I need is you. Just you and the word, the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you, God, for all that you are and all that you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. You are more than we deserve. And you're still saving people who believe in you because you love them. That's why if you're here today and you're not sure you have a relationship with God, I want you to know he's still offering salvation by faith to those who believe him. Not by works, not by earning this, not by going to church or getting baptized or taking communion. This is by believing in Jesus. This Jesus. The Jesus of the Mormons won't save you. The Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses won't save you. The Jesus of the many cults and distortions out there will not save you. The prosperity Jesus won't save you. This Jesus will save you. The King of kings and Lord of lords. God in human flesh. So if you're here today and you know you're a sinner and you believe he died on the cross to save you from your sins because there's no other way and that he was buried and rose again the third day conquering sin, death, and the grave. If you believe that today, then you have a gift, the gift of God. Open up your heart to him and ask him in. For as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be called the children of God. And you can pray to him just like this right now, right in your heart, right where you sit. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I believe that you died on a cross for my sins because you loved me. And I believe you are buried in a tomb, but the grave couldn't hold you. Three days later, you rose again victorious, conquering sin and death and the grave for me, and you're alive. So Jesus, I ask you, please come and live in me. Wash away all of my sins and forgive me. Teach me to follow you as king of kings, and Lord of lords all the days of my life. And I will look forward to the great and glorious day of your coming. People, have you prayed that or anything like it in your heart? God heard you. He knows the cry of faith. Christ comes to live in you. He applies that payment. Your sins are forgiven. You're brought into relationship with God. It's a new beginning. We want to help you with that. That's why whether you're in the balcony or the lower floor, if you prayed today with us, Please don't hurry off. Come down. Go to the prayer room over there to your left. We have wonderful people to meet you. We want to come alongside and encourage you and rejoice with you that Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has come to live in your heart. God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being so clear, so powerful. 
and that those who trust in you will never be disappointed. I pray, God, as we sing this closing song, this will be only an indicator of the worship and the trust we have in you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And thank you for those today who have given their hearts to you, God. This is why you came and why we look forward to your coming again. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. In your precious name, amen.